الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما Today we find ourselves, my dear brothers and sisters, in the final Jum'ah of Ramadan. So we praise God Almighty and we thank Him. For He is the Lord of the heavens and the earth and the creator of all therein, and He is our Lord and our creator. And He has placed us here on this earth with such, for such a short amount of time. For those of you who are getting up there in age, I'm sure you will agree with me that the time of this life passed by so quickly. And for those of you who are now finishing the month of Ramadan, you see that the month of Ramadan has passed so quickly. So we are here for a very short period of time and he has sent us prophets and revelation throughout the ages. The seal of the prophets, of course, is our beloved prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We declare our belief that there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, God Almighty. And we declare our belief in all of the prophets, including our beloved Prophet Muhammad. May God's peace and mercy be upon him. My dear brothers and sisters, this month has been the month of revelation, the month of the text of the Quran. And as we self-isolated and self-quarantined, we found ourselves with more opportunity, perhaps, to engage with the Quran to not only hear the beautiful recitation of Sheikh Asim and Dr. Saleh Khuluqi, but to perhaps read it, the, the Quran, the revelation in a language that is native to us. If it's not Arabic, then English, etc. And to reflect upon the meaning. In today's khutbah, I would like to share with you a perspective that might help give context to the text. And what is the context of the Qur'an other than the life of our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? For Muhammad was a human being, may God be pleased with him, who was born in Arabia at a time in which paganism, polytheism, worshipping idols and false deities was the norm. It was a rare individual who refused to worship idols and would worship only God the Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some of them existed, they were known as the Hanafa, if they were a Hanif, if you were not following the norm and you would go off and worship only one God, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu was one of them. But there were a handful of others. But most people worshipped false deities and false idols. So he was born into this context, but he was also born into a context that was tribal that it was uh, a, a, a wild environment that was um, difficult to live in. Let's just put it this way. Why is that? There were scarce resources. People lived in the desert. Uh, a few tribes were settled, like the Quraysh, that were settled in the city of Mecca. They had water. They had the Kaaba. Uh, and when you go out on their, when, when they would go out on their trade routes to uh, make business and sell goods uh, up to the north in uh, the Levant or down in the south in Yemen, they would set themselves up for, for possibly being raided by other 
uh, other tribes along the way. And so there was always danger. It was a dangerous environment. And there was a lot of conflict and warfare over those scarce resources. But in the place of, of Mecca, it was a blessed place, not just because of the Kaaba, but because the Kaaba gave it a sanctuary, gave it a sanctity that allowed the people who lived there to be free from conflict. It was a place in which all of the Arab tribes agreed not to engage in warfare. And so what sprang up from this stability, from this peaceful environment, other than an opportunity to do business? Markets like stability. And so Mecca provided that. And so a beautiful, thriving marketplace developed. And so the people who lived in, in Mecca, the Quraysh, they had different clans, but they, uh, the leadership in particular, reaped the rewards of having this marketplace in their midst, in this uh, uh, city that also contained the Kaaba, which housed not only uh, the, the sanctity housed the marketplace, but it housed also the idols that the different tribes worshipped. They would bring them and oftentimes leave them at the Kaaba. There was, there's a report from the Hadith literature that suggests that there were more than 360 idols surrounding the Kaaba. And each tribe would have its own, uh, its own idol and sometimes multiple idols that they would worship. And they would try and get blessings from those idols as they went on their trade routes. Now, what's important to note is that um, in this environment where it was, you, everyone was free to sort of do their own thing, um, the Quraysh had a vested interest in the status quo. And this is important because I'm talking about the context of the message of the Prophet Muhammad And the context was one that he had to try and change because not only did they worship these false idols, but they also had practices that were uh, by, any, by any stretch, by any imagination, uh, immoral. They mistreated women in general. In fact, they considered it shameful to have a daughter as a firstborn, and they would have this horrific practice of burying their infant daughters alive in pre-Islamic Arabia. And this was an immoral practice that Islam came to address and the, the message of the Prophet came to speak to. Also, they mistreated uh, slaves. You know, people owned other people. Slavery existed at that time and for many centuries thereafter, but the, uh, there was a, a kind of slavery that also contained uh, uh, traces of bigotry and racism. And we, know, we all know very well the story of Bilal uh, and how he was treated, and uh, many others, by the way. And then um, the, the, the orphans and the poor, the marginalized, they uh, didn't have the, the support of the, of the wealthy, and they, they oftentimes... Uh, were, were mistreated by society in general. It was a very male-dominated society, and if you didn't have a strong father to figure to look out for you, then you would uh, be uh, marginalized. And so it was into this context, both in terms of uh, uh, false worship and also immoral practice into which the Prophet was born, وسلم. And so what was his message? What did he do? He began... When, to, to retreat after he had uh, married his wife Khadija radiallahu anha who, who was a beautiful support to him who provided him that comfort and security that helped him grow in his, in his spirit 
and gave him the opportunity to go into spiritual retreats where he went one day to the mountain as he did on many occasions to the mountain of Hira just outside of Mecca and you can for those of you who visited you if you if you go inside this really just a few rocks that form a shady spot uh, in a small cave you can see through the back there's almost like a little window you can see the Kaaba on a clear day and so he would he would go into to a retreat in this spot and pray and worship and reflect upon the ills and injustices of society and it was on what such occasion that he one such occasion that he received the first revelation to recite Iqra read in the name of your Lord who created and although at first he was filled with self-doubt he was confused he wasn't sure what, what this meant whether he was imagining it or whether it was real he went back and he informed his wife who gave him the the support emotional support and encouragement and eventually more revelation came and he realized that he had a mission he was a prophet human being still but divinely inspired to carry out a charge what was his charge his charge was nothing less than transforming the society in which he lived and maybe he didn't know it at the time the world thereafter so how is it that he was to change the society the first thing he started preaching was to worship only one uh, one God the true God the Creator and to not worship false idols so half of his mission message I would say was about theology and belief correct belief why is this even important why is this the focus well this is uh, from the vantage point of the Creator the essential part of human reality it is to recognize reality to recognize truth and to follow truth so the first half of the Islamic Creed starts with a negative la la ilaha illallah that there is nothing else that needs to be worshipped that deserves to be worshipped that is worthy of worship except for God Almighty so anything that you're giving extra attention to extra importance to to the point where you are worshipping it this is a distraction from the truth but what is the real world implications of that this is my dear brothers and sisters the crux of the matter for what the second part the second half and a, and a good portion of what the Quran focuses on gives us a context for why the first half is so important yes we want to follow the truth as human beings that's a given but the implications of really understanding that there's that God exists and that God has a moral code that we should live by that has real-world implications on how we treat one another what true justice looks like and so the second half of his message is a message of social justice it's a message of how to be honest and good human beings to reach our full potential and that we worship God that we that God is the is the not only the creator of all that is but is the one who will resurrect us and before whom we will stand on the day of judgment and held to account for how we conducted ourselves in the here and now and the fate of our soul will thereby be in God's hand that has real-world implications imagine the time uh, at the time of Arabia they didn't believe in a hereafter they didn't believe in the day of judgment and so all that all that mattered to the pre-islamic Arabs was that when you died the, they thought the only thing that li would live on after you what would be your reputation and so the only thing that mattered to them was what other people thought 
And guess what? Other, th other people thought it was the majority opinion that it was okay to bury your, your infant daughter alive, hoping that the next born will be a, a male. This is not okay. This is not a small thing, but everyone thought it was fine and, and, and people did it in mass. Many, many people did that because they thought that this was a, the honorable thing to do and it was shameful to have a daughter. Imagine, we can't even imagine that now, but this was normative. And if your only frame of reference for what is right and good is what other people thought, this is the, this is the pathway that you would follow. This is the road that, you would, that this, this would lead you down. So my dear brothers and sisters, it's a shift in paradigm. It's a revolutionary idea that the Quran came with, that the revelation came with, that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was inspired with. It changed entire, the entire worldview, the entire paradigm of what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, what is just and what is unjust. For Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala speaks to it throughout the earliest of revelations, not just correct belief, but good behavior. How dare you bury, how dare you take the life of a little girl? How dare you? How dare you mistreat the orphan and the indigent, the poor? How dare you share your wealth? Give of what you were given. Because remember, everything that we have in this life, we didn't come into this world with. We were gifted it from our own parents to all of the possessions that we have, even our own physical body and our own souls. These were gifts from God, and all God is asking us to do is not give it all back, but share. Share what we have been given. So it's a reorienting of priorities uh, and of what is important, away from what is popular and what other people think to what God thinks. For God is the ultimate decider uh, of our fate and uh, the here, in the hereafter. And so much of the Quranic theme in the beginning part and throughout but particularly in the beginning part, is focused on this idea of there is a heaven and a hell. There is a day of judgment. Your soul will be re resurrected. There are arguments back and forth in the Quran that, that captured the arguments that were taking place at the time of the Prophet. Sometimes, one, one time a person came to the Prophet with a dried bone in his hand, and he crushed it, making it into dust. And he said, and this is uh, captured in Surah Yasin, he says, He says, who will resurrect the bone after it is uh, dispersed and, and powdered and made into, into dust? So then the Prophet is instructed by God to respond by saying, the one who created it the first time will, recre will recreate it. What is more difficult to create, a, a single human being or all of the expanse of the heavens and the earth? There's an argumentation in the Quran, a polemic that's captured in this text. Uh, and so there's an emphasis and focus on using your mind and your heart to perceive the truth as it truly is. And when you come to the realization that God exists, that God is the creator and the recreator, and that there's a day of judgment, then it becomes easy to ask then if it's, you know, to ask the question then, if it's not whatever everyone else thinks is right and good, is truly right and good. What is? What is it that God wants from us? And so the Quran is filled with uh, ideas and notions and universal principles and values of what is good and beautiful and just. And the Quran, these are the major themes of the Quran. Justice, compassion, mercy, charity. These are the universal values that were manifest in the life of the Prophet 
Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam for what did he do what did he do with his mission he went and he was preaching to the people around Arabia and uh, a lot of people would convene on the city of Mecca for trade and also during the times of pilgrimage and so uh, he was instructed to, to, by God to go and uh, share the, the the revelation and so he did and the revelation the Arabs were very proud of their language they were they had poetry festivals they they thought the Arabic language was a very sophisticated beautiful piece of cultural uh, cultural expression and it was and it is the Quran outdid them all this is from from God Almighty so it's not a difficult thing for him but the Quran had its own merit people would listen to the Quran and be in awe they would be amazed this was a gift from from God to humanity but also an assistance to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam who had to convince people that this is the truth that it came in such a beautiful package made it easier for him and so when he would recite people would be mesmerized they would be uh, enthralled and many people would resonate with the messaging not just the the style of the Quran but the message of the Quran it pierced their heart and they embraced Islam and the numbers of, of followers grew particularly amongst the ranks of the marginalized in society the orphans the poor the indigent the slaves the you know the women who were mistreated they found in the message of the Quran something beautiful and they began to uh, to follow the, pro the prophetic message and mission and his numbers grew who didn't listen to the message of the Prophet for the most part the leadership who had a vested interest in the status quo why because if they acknowledged the that the Prophet was divinely inspired then they would have to make him the leader and they didn't want to do that number one number two it also might interfere with business because if they're making a lot of money at their stall in the marketplace from all of the business that they are getting from the tribes who all worship idols and that are housed in Mecca they thought that if they started saying these are false idols that it would drive business away and they would uh, they would lose out on revenue and so they were threatened by the message of the Prophet Muhammad so what did they do well, the first they tried to bribe him. You know, they tried to shut him up different ways. They try, tried to strong arm him. They pressured his uncle, who was his protector, uh, Abu Talib, and they um, they tried to bribe him. They said, "We'll all pitch in and make you wealthier than any one of us. You'll be the wealthiest person in the city. You can marry whomever you want, the most beautiful woman in the city." He said, "You could put the sun in my right, in my right hand and the moon in my left. I'm not going to give up preaching this mission until I succeed or or, or pass away trying." And so he was uh, incorruptible. Uh, so what do they do next? Well, they try. They couldn't touch him because his uncle, who was one of the the, the clan leaders uh, uh, of one of the clans of Quraysh, uh, he he gave him he, he gave him he put him under his protection. So none of the other clans would touch him, or they would uh, face retribution, and it would start a feud. And so they tried different things. They tried insulting him. They tried character assassination. The problem is. He had such good character and people knew him as being a trustworthy, honest, good-natured human being. That character assassination didn't work in general. Uh, he was known as the trustworthy, Al-Amin. Everyone knows that. They would leave their possessions with him when they traveled and he would safeguard them and give them, return them in full to the owners when they returned from their trip. So he was a good guy. And so they, they couldn't get away with just saying bad things about him. So what they did is they turned to 
uh, a character assassination that suggested that he was a sorcerer, that he was enchanted, that he was a magician, that he would somehow cast the spell over you with his, uh, with his words, with the, with the revelation of the Qur'an. Because it was so beautiful, they couldn't really argue against the substance of it, nor the style of it. And so they said, just stay away from it because you will become under its spell. And so they try, they, in fact, at some point, they put people on the outskirts of Mecca to try and, uh, you know, give disclaimers. There's a guy here, he's one of us, and he's saying bad things about your idols. Don't listen to him. He doesn't represent the official views of Quraysh. I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly how they said it, but in essence. And they, they told people to stay away from him. Some people, they piqued their curiosity and they went and they listened to him anyway. But um, they tried all, all kinds of things. Uh, but he continued to, to grow in the number of people that supported him. So what did they try also? They tried persecuting his followers, some of whom didn't have protectors. And so uh, at one point he sent a delegation to the city of, uh, or to the, the, the area in Africa known as Habasha, uh, Ethiopia or Abyssinia. And there was a Christian king there who ended up giving uh, the protection to, to those followers. Uh, just on a side note, uh, when Ja'far uh, ibn Abi Talib uh, anhu, was uh, asked by the king, uh, Nagas, to, uh, to, to represent the views of, of the Muslims uh, as represented in the Sirah literature. And for those of you who know uh, the, the, the message by Mustafa Aqad, that was one of the most powerful scenes in that, in that film where it reflects this, this, uh, the, the reports in the Sirah literature in which he describes Islam as something that helped bring civilization and morality to a people whose powerful uh, oppressed the weak, whose wealthy mistreated the poor and the marginalized, and helped them live honest, true lives, worshiping the one true God. And so it was such a beautiful sum summary of what Islam meant to him at that time uh, that was capt captured in that, in that incident. But eventually, the, um, uh, you know, they came back to Mecca, they still faced persecution, and the prophet was at a crossroads. He was looking for a safe location where the message of Islam could be established, and in that hostile environment by the Meccans, it was very difficult. Uh, they were ostracized for uh, uh, some time, some say up to three years, um, where no one did business with them, they weren't allowed to sell them food or to marry with the Muslims, and they were kicked out of their homes. And so they were persecuted for a long period of time, and they endured with some loss, some tragic loss and difficulty, but they endured. But during this time of darkness, some light came through, and this is by the grace of God. For his message resonated with people outside of Arabia, and the prophet never gave up hope. He never, in fact, the opposite of faith is not non-faith, it's despair. It's giving up hope, and the prophet never gave up hope. And he always turned to God and he complained to God, give me protection, find me, some, give me some place where I can be secure, where I can deliver this message. And his prayer was answered. To the north of Mecca is the city of, was the city of Yathrib. Now we know it as Al-Medina. It's about 300 miles north of Mecca. There were two major tribes there, the Aus and the Khazraj that had been feuding for generations. And uh, taking each other's life, it was a blood feud and, and a cycle of violence that was, they didn't see an end to. And they were about equal strength. Uh, these are the two major tribes of the city, but there are many other tribes. But those are the two big, big ones there. And they did not uh, 
figure out a way in which they can reconcile and put a, 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 a secure peace for themselves. But one young person, a teenager, heard the message of the Prophet Muhammad and traveled to, uh, to uh, Mecca and uh, ended up embracing Islam. And, they saw, and he saw in the message of the Prophet and in the Prophet himself uh, an opportunity for peace. He saw in the Prophet Muhammad a peacemaker. And so he, uh, the Prophet sent him back and he began spreading the message of Islam to the city of, uh, of Yathrib. More and more people came and they began meeting annually at a, at a meeting point called Aqaba. And uh, after a few years, the number of people uh, swelled to about 80, uh, 80 or so from both the Aus and the Khazars, the two warring factions in Yathrib. And they had all embraced Islam. And they invited the Prophet and his followers to move to Yathrib and they would, in the city of Yathrib, provide a safe zone for the Muslims. They would provide a, a home base for the Muslims where they could be free to practice and to preach this new faith that, that was new to Arabia at the time. It's not the new faith, it's the faith that was new to Arabia. And so they... Uh, the Prophet accepted. There was an oath. The people put their hand on the hand of the Prophet at this place of Aqaba. It was a momentous occasion. But all of the groundwork had been laid. I, I, you know, it's important that we retell the story of our beloved Prophet Muhammad with his agency. Although God aided and assisted and made possible, not just through revelation, but through the circumstances, he also, you can see his very real human effort to try and find a way to fulfill his mission. And so many years, it didn't seem like there would, there would be a clear way. And he had starts and failures, like the sending the people to Africa, or even he tried at Ta'if and he got chased away with sticks and stones uh, and was bloodied and bruised. Um, so he, he tried to find a home base. He tried in Mecca and he failed. Remember when he frowned and turned away, right? He was trying to preach to the leadership and here comes someone who was sincere, but from a lower class. And it felt, he felt like it stepped on his message when trying to preach to the, to the leadership. But ultimately speaking, it didn't work in Mecca. It didn't work in Ta'if. but he, he found fertile ground in the city of Yathrib and there he sent his followers and eventually uh, he stayed behind and when after his uncle died all of the the clans agreed to try and take him out and assassinate him he uh, escaped at the final moment and made his way to Yathrib now let us pause at this moment and just ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to on this beautiful day of Jum'ah on this blessed day of Jum'ah this final Jum'ah of Ramadan in 2020 let us ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness and for guidance and uh, for whatever it is that you are most in need of, for you will find God uh, most responsive, for He promises us in the Quran, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِي إِذَا دَعَانِ فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُ لِي وَلْيُؤْمِنُوا بِي لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْشُدُونَ And when my servants ask you, O Muhammad, about me, I am close, I answer the 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 prayer of anyone who calls on me whenever they call on me. So let them believe in me and answer my call so that perhaps they may be rightly guided. Let us just make a brief dua and I'll say some uh, concluding marks in just a moment.
Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. My dear brothers and sisters, this month is the month of the Qur'an. It is a text that is full of ideas and guidance and beauty that when we engage with it, we can be elevated in our character and our spirit. And for those who have been taking advantage of this month to engage with the Qur'an, Today's khutbah is an opportunity to put the text in the context, and that is the context of the life of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, who was sent on a mission to transform not just the theology of his people, but the practice, the morality, the values of society at his time and for the, for, forever thereafter. And our, and our inheritance, what we receive from the Prophet is this mission. We have the same charge by God Almighty as believers to establish faith both in terms of belief but also in terms of morality and practice we can't change people's uh, hearts but what we can establish in society is justice mercy and compassion and charity and so when the prophet tried his best in mecca and then finally found a, a home base a fertile ground in yathrib and made the migration he arrived there and I want to share with you in this closing uh, a few remarks, two speeches that he gave. Alhamdulillah, they were very short speeches, so it's not going to drag on. But this encapsulates the beauty of the prophetic message and how it re relates to those two topics, good faith and values and morality and of mercy, compassion, justice, and, um, and charity. When he arrived in in Medina, his first talk, he says, uh, O people, afshu salam, right? Spread peace, establish peace. Um, wa, um, there are four things. Establish peace, he said, um, maintain your familial connections. So in other words, even though he's coming with a revolutionary message, it's not designed to break up families. Maintain your family connections. He said, pray at night when everyone else is sleeping. Sallu filayli wan nasu niyam. And he also said, um, -taam. Give food to those who need it. Share your, what you have. Share your wealth. Share your, share your possessions with those who are in need. These four principles of uh, three of which are social justice related and one is theological. What's the connection? The theology, when you're praying sincerely at home when everyone else is sleeping, it gives you that spiritual connection to the divine that allows you to endure the difficulty of making peace in society, forgiving your brother or your sister, and overcoming those differences. So maintaining family connections and establishing peace, sometimes you have to maintain peace within the family as well, which is sometimes very challenging as we've been in social isolation and close contact with one another, with our family. Hopefully we've been able to grow in this regard and take advantage of that. Share your wealth. Share your food. So if you are connected to the divine, then you are less possessive, less connected to and attached to worldly things, and that you will be more generous in sharing and more charitable. And so that's what praying at night in a sincere way helps you to do. And in his last speech, the farewell pilgrimage, subhanAllah, I want to summarize three of the, of the main points. Uh, there's, well, four points. One is hold on tight to his tradition and the Quran.
the revelation and what he has taught, the wisdom that he has passed on. But summarizing what that wisdom is, what did he say? Three things that are as relevant today as they ever were in history. It's like they're right out of the headlines. Number one, your possessions and your persons, your, your lives are sacred. Haram. So do not violate one another's sacred uh, being. They're, don't take another person's life or harm another person, nor unjustly take their possessions. We see so much violence and corruption in today's world. Here in, the, in our country and around the world, there is no society that's, that's free from the, the, these two uh, elements that, that undermine uh, the, the, the fabric of, of, of civilization. Corruption, greed, and transgressing against, trans, transgressing against one another's property, and violence that we commit against one another. Racism, uh, whether it's because of race or tribal or nationalistic reasons, we commit acts of violence. That's number one. Number two, what did he say? He said, Fear God in how you treat women, especially those over whom you have authority. Subhanallah. 1400 years ago, a time in which women were oftentimes mistreated as the norm. Here he comes with his final message on, the, on this final the farewell pilgrimage, and he says, Fear God in how you treat women, especially those over whom you have authority. This is like straight out of the headlines with all of the Me Too movement that's highlighting some of the abuse, but so much is not being highlighted in the mistreatment of women, especially those under the authority of, of powerful other figures, uh, powerful men in particular. And so this is a, a reminder that is a forever reminder because it was in that message that encapsulates the spirit of the Quran. And then finally, and again, as relevant today as it ever was, don't be racist. None of you are better, and I'm paraphrasing the prophet here, none of you are better than the other because of the color of your skin. Arab over non-Arab, black over white, et cetera, et cetera, white over black. This is the essence of the prophetic message. That the, the, it's about our character. This is about our character. And we still face, unfortunately, today in today's world, really it seems like a growing racism that's permeating in a systemic uh, fashion every aspect of, 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 uh, of our world. And um, people of true faith, and Muslims in particular, we need to rise to the occasion because it's shameful. If you look at Muslim-majority countries, all three of those things are taking place. Abuse of women, uh, violence against one another and corruption, and sectarianism and racism. And my dear brothers and sisters, this is the month of repentance. This is the month of reconnecting to the Quran. And this is the opportunity to re, uh, re reaffirm our commitment to God to try and live up to those values, those universal human values that were emphasized over and over within the Quran uh, and the context of the Quran, the life of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa jazakum khair. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.